Okay, welcome, welcome everyone. Good morning. Good morning, welcome. Um, there he is. Um, welcome. Should have a good group today. Thanks everyone for joining. Um, <clears throat> I guess we'll start off talking a bit about what's happening in the markets last week. Um, bon, I know you were issuing a chat a bit about like punks and what's happening on Blur and uh, what's happening there. Um, sort of, you know, people still continuing this with the uh, Blur farming situation, although that seems to be slowing down some. Uh, like what have you seen going on with Punk there and, and yeah, I mean it's like they've caught a bit so uh, you know when this new liquidity came into the market through Blur we saw the Punk floor move up from like 65 to 75 ETH and it was actually feeling pretty good and then evidently a bunch of uh, bids got smacked pretty hard last night 75 or 100 Punks traded into all these bids that were stacked up for Blur farming and the floor drops 10 ETH and, you know, now these people who are blur, who are farming blur now along quite a few punks and a little bit underwater. So, you know, I'm not really a big fan of, you know, doing trades to get tokens that have some future value that you may or may not know. I tend to not play those games, but obviously there are, you know, to be able to put bids in to buy 75 punks, obviously you've got to have a pretty good amount of money to do something like that. And, probably have done well in this space. It's just not the game that I would choose to play. But, uh, you know, I, I think that overall, I'm not really a fan of turning CryptoPunks into some kind of shitty altcoin and trading it like it's fungible. So, you know, I don't really have a problem necessarily with people, you know, losing money doing that. But I, I would prefer that punks weren't used in that way. But, you know, I can't, obviously we can't control what people people how people want to trade so uh go ahead Abby. yeah fun uh fair uh elsewhere there's some stuff with fellowship happening and post photo is sort of the new craze ai may be slowing down a, a touch but not nothing super insane uh coming off the bright moments um auction last week uh, i think the passes for fellowship happened last week. Do we know when the drop is actually happening? Is that still a few weeks away? Yeah, I think that's the first week in April. You know, the interesting thing is, yes, it seems like the AI space is softening a little bit, although we did see that really large Lost Robbie sale to Punk 703, uh, which was interesting. And evidently he was one of the uh, Punk sellers too in this recent uptrade uh, with the blur farming. So hitting on two things but yeah fellowship sold there and we had the fellowship people on a couple weeks back as some of you may remember uh, the fellowship pass came to market earlier in the week around 0.2 eth it's done a little bit better i think with the post photography movement still you know having some traction i think the, the, those could could ultimately do pretty well so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there yeah i'd be curious if it brings in some new participants maybe some People uh, at the entry level to NFTs, um, people interested in photography from the uh, traditional side, et cetera, et cetera, or if it's just a rotation of people that have been participating in NFTs for, you know, uh, some amount of time, year plus, whatever it is. Um, and this is just sort of a, the new temporary trend. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. And yeah, I mean, we'll see what else is coming into NFT NYC, which is what, about three weeks away at this point, something like that. Sounds right. Three, three and a, yeah, three weeks. Uh, should we uh, should we get into it, or what do you think? Yeah, perfect. Uh, so today on the show, you know, we've got uh, Lady Cactoid from Cactoid Labs, who has uh, done some type of partnership with LACMA, Los Angeles County Museum, and some great artists, a great lineup. I know we have a couple of them fortunate to join us today: Jen Stark, Def Beef, Sarah Zucker. I think it shows uh, maybe showing. I'm not sure on that yet. But um, yeah, happy to jump right in and 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 we can uh, and start. I, I know Vaughn, you you wanted to sort of like kick it off and and sort of get a top level overview of, of exactly what this is and maybe a good explainer. So I'll, I'll let you sort of take it from here. Sure. Uh, thanks, Ab. Uh, Lady Cactoid uh, and our uh, accomplished artists. Very thankful to have you guys all here, uh, Lady Cactoid. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, the, the partnership with LACMA and how this came to be and then the process of bringing some of these artists on and uh, get into a little bit about you know, where you, maybe you see how uh, this, this plays out going forward and other, other things that you might have planned going on. 
with, uh, with LACMA. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks so much for having me guys. Um, as you, as you know, I'm such a fan of all of the conversations you guys have been, um, you know, bringing to fruition here in these, in these spaces. So, um, I am Lady Cactoid. I'm a um, co-founder of Cactoid Labs and we're a, um, a lab that it focus, focuses on bringing artists and museums um, together within the, the Web3 arena. Um, I have been working as a, as a curator for over a decade and um, have a strong interest in art and technology. So I've been lecturing on art and the singularity at universities and um, doing, uh, so I've done a number of exhibitions um, at, at various museums here in LA, including LACMA and MOCA and the Getty. Um, and basically LACMA has a very rich history of art and technology, which is a little unique in terms of um, museums um, as far as that conversation goes. So they've been really exploring this field since they, they opened as a museum in the 60s. Um, they put together something called the Art and Technology Program, which is now iconic and bring, have brought together Andy Warhol and James Terrell and Robert Irwin to um, together with entities of the day like IBM and RCA Television and um, Bell Labs. So that was a very kind of foundational moment for the museum and also for LA, which um, maybe people don't know, but LA has a very rich history of um, technology companies and, um, and universities like um, uh, Caltech, which is in Pasadena, and then the neighboring JPL in Pasadena, which is a jet propulsions laboratory. So all of that history is kind of a really rich part of Southern California. And so a lot of artists have been exploring what technology can kind of um, mean for art. So we were invited by the museum to help them build out a blockchain program, which we've been working on for, for over a year now, um, and is happily coming to fruition with all these amazing artists that some of whom we have here today with us, um, Def Beef, Sarah Zucker, uh, Jen Stark, IX Shells, Emily Shia, Monica Rizzoli, um, and then we have, well, uh, Tyler, Deaf Beef, will speak to his upcoming project. We also have upcoming projects with William Mopon, um, Tyler Hobbs, and some artists that we uh, have not announced yet. So it's, it's a chance for the museum to continue a conversation that they have been developing for years and to you know, really explore a new tool, which is this decentralized internet that we call Web3. Um, LACMA has, like many museums, been collecting digital art for decades in the form of video art and sound art. Um, but blockchain is a relatively, you know, recent phenomenon, as we know. And so it affords like a, a different set of possibilities. It's always been a challenge for museums to collect time-based media because there's the issue of preserving it. And then there's the issue that it's generally, you know, before blockchain came around, it was difficult to sell because it was ephemera, it was ephemeral and, and not, you know, as Sarah can speak to, um, it, it was very difficult for artists to get traction in galleries and um, with collectors. And so this is really this like new opportunity to honor and like preserve what's happening in the digital space, as well as to reach like a whole new audience. So I think that's a really interesting thing when we think from a macro perspective and zoom out like museums are institutions that are always trying to um, not necessarily reinvent themselves, but to stay stay current and bring new audiences and different audiences in. So 
the young digitally native audience that is Web3 is a really exciting group that is international, um, that museums all over the world are really excited to engage, you know, in exhibition programming, in um, lectures and metaverse programming. So I think we're really just starting that conversation. Um, LACMA is one of a handful of museums that are really kind of exploring this. Um, I know that everyone probably followed that the Centre Pompidou in Paris recently acquired um, a number of important NFTs. So yeah, it's part of a, a wide kind of shift that um, that these artists are really um, at the forefront of. And so all these artists will speak, I think, to what they've been creating with the museum. But this initiative is basically an invitation to them to respond to works in LACMA's permanent collection. Um, so Sarah and Jen, um, Deaf Beef have all been looking at different objects from different time periods and then making new um, limited digital editions um, as part of this initiative. So that, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Nice. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Um, some info on that. I guess I, I have one question uh, in terms of like the, the mint passes, like, is that going, are there like, I love the art, the art's great. Uh, I'm impressed with how well everything's doing in the secondary markets. Uh, just curious if there's going to be any additional, like, like by holding the set, is that going to give us access to some of the future things that you plan to do with LACMA? And, you know, just kind of, just, just curious as to what else might be going on here. Yes. <laughs> we haven't like, you know, officially kind of announced, um, how all of that will work, but yes, there will be, um, you know, very, um, you know, tangible benefits to having a full set um, and, and that original um, mint pass, as well as benefits for people who just have one piece. Um, so, you know, it, we will be announcing all of these kind of um, use cases soon. Um, actually, Monica, who couldn't be here with us today, is going to be soon releasing her long-form generative um, series based uh, on the same algorithm that you um, that that she used for the edition that was just released last week. So soon, um, you know, all the on-chain randomly generated versions of that algorithm, which is this gorgeous, you know, look at this iconic Japanese printmaker named Hokusai, um, her interpretation of his tour of Japanese waterfalls that will be coming uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah. Nice, thank you, that, that, that was good, appreciate it. Cool, I had a quick question just to follow up on something that you touched on a little bit earlier is how all these works kind of seem to be in conversation with existing works at the museum. and found it kind of interesting because I know Buffalo AKG did a very similar project via Feral File, and I know we actually collected one of Sarah's pieces um, from, from that drop as well. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, that's kind of an interesting um, kind of common thread there that these these generative, or sorry, not generative, but digital works, NFTs, if you will, are um, in conversation with existing works. And it's interesting that two museums have now taken this approach. I'm curious to know why you think that may be. And then also just kind of from from Sarah's perspective, you know, how you're thinking about approaching a project like that as an artist. Yeah. Um, so um, the Buffalo AKG exhibition um, was very similar in the sense that it, it Sarah and, and the other artists involved were responding to works in their collection. Um, and then MoMA's uh project with Rafiq, which was also on Ferrofile, unsupervised, was also similar in the sense that it it he was using um, images from from MoMA's you know permanent collection with his machine learning to <clears throat> generate all those those glorious um, artworks that are now um, in the atrium of MoMA. But um, yeah, I mean, museums have, LACMA in particular, but many museums have an interest in bringing contemporary art into, into the fold of what they do holistically. 
So LACMA, unlike some, well, unlike MoMA, for instance, MoMA is not an encyclopedic museum. LACMA is an encyclopedic museum, which means that they have, <clears throat> sorry, they have um, objects that date, you know, that are ancient Egyptian artifacts, that are um, ancient Mesoamerican artifacts. They have objects from all over the world, um, from really like throughout time and it's not just a modern and contemporary museum. MoMA is a museum that's origins lie in, in modern art. So, you know, it, 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 their, their collection basically starts with, um, you know, cubism and, 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 and that whole tradition. But LACMA has for many years had a program. Um, I've been working with a number of people at the museum, um, colleagues like Aaron Wright, who is the director of artist initiatives at LACMA, who's been running a print program at the museum where um, very well-known and celebrated artists like Ed Ruscha and Barbara Kruger and John Baldessari have come in to do um, physical prints with LACMA. Um, but often um, th that program, they've also been doing film programs where contemporary artists come in and respond to older works in the museum's collection. And it's a really great way for an artist to be in dialogue with a broader span of art history and time and to have like their art viewed through a different lens. Um, you know, I mean, that's been part of my goal with this is that so often in this Web3 arena, we view and talk about digital art as if it's like operating in a vacuum of like, you know, the internet and computers and people are, as we know, responding to all sorts of stories and in, in, in the world through their art. But, but LACMA uses that kind of vehicle to expand what, how we think of contemporary art, but to also expand our interest in older art. So it's, it's, Oh, you know, a real oftentimes people have a little bit less interest in going into older wings of museums where objects are like thousands of years old. That's not always the case. But if you put a contemporary artwork next to an object that's thousands of years old, you can often bring in a whole new audience. And doing that with digital art is even kind of more exciting, I think, because we're such a digital society. Um, LACMA is actually currently half under construction, as, as Sarah and Jen, um, who are native to Los Angeles, know very well. But when the new wings of the museum open, I'm really excited about seeing, you know, um, perhaps, uh, you know, in, in the new wings, these digital works aside, these older works, and it will allow people to, you know, think about think about history in a different way. So it's, it's, a, it's a vehicle that the museum has been using, but many museums use as a way to just kind of expand people's awareness of, of art history. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, yeah. Um, I wonder if we could kick it off to some of the artists now and either you know, do some intros, discuss a little bit about what your involvement is here and, and, and sort of the impetus for the project and the, and the art that you've contributed. Um, Jen, I guess we'll start with you, you know, uh, maybe an intro and then a little bit again into, into the partnership here with LACMA and sort of the, um, sort of what you did with your art and, and, and what you um, were trying to say with it. Uh, if not, if she's off for a second, maybe we could kick it to Sarah if, if you're available. Sure. Hello. Hey um, I just got a text from Jen. She's jumping, jumping in and out. She's having some technical difficulties, so she'll be back. Um, good morning, everyone. And um, I, I just want to speak to what was said earlier. I was like delighted by this sort of... Um, contextualization that's happening because that's kind of the big word here. Um, it was noted that we've had sort of these two big museum moments in a row with with peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer at Buffalo AKG and now with Remembrance of Things Future at LACMA. And I have had um, the good fortune to be part of both shows and both have sort of taken this framework of 
of putting us, putting these, you know, us cutting edge, wild <laughs> digital artists working on the blockchain uh, in dialogue with works, you know, from these museums collections. And when these projects were presented to me, it was sort of like, you know, oh, put myself in the context of the art historical canon, like, don't threaten me with a good time. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, I'm glad it's being noted because it's, it's, um, that's what this is, right? And I think that these opportunities as an artist are really a chance for us to flex, <laughs> a chance for us to flex our creative muscle because um, you'll note, I use the phrase in, in dialogue with and not inspired by. Um, because I think that you have to have a certain potency as an artist to uh, take in a work, you know, by another artist of another time, to take it in, to sit with it, digest it, chew on it, and let it be the sort of like seed that creates a completely new artwork. And um, that's very much how I view my artwork for this, for this uh, project, Two Answers. Um, it's a it's a response, and it's um, definitely has certain uh, origin elements to it that are in response to a work called Two Dancers, uh, that was a woodcut from 1932 by the artist Ernst Ludwig Kirchner, uh, who worked within a um, an era, a moment that we we refer to as German Expressionism, and. German uh, expressionism and, and specifically German expressionism has had a huge influence on me and the development of my visual language and how I express myself in these very bold lines and um, with a great sense of like emotionality. And um, I really just sort of wanted to port the idea of the original woodcut that's this um, very clear idea of two bodies merging together through dance. Um, and, and I sort of brought it into my universe. It's, it's, um, it's what I call a video painting, which is this style I began developing in 2015 using um, a Sony video painter from the early 90s, um, something I schemed to get my hands on my whole life, pretty much. And I, I finally got one of these things in 2015 and started thinking, you know, how can I incorporate this into my art practice? How can I use this? Um, and it became one of the cornerstones of what I call my analog video rig, which is this system of, um, you know, vintage broadcast devices and custom modded hardware and TVs and cameras pointed at TVs and feedback loops. And um, it's this sort of like spaceship type of thing command center I've built in my studio um, where I sit and I craft these things. And, um, you know, uh, for me, it's always educating people about how I create my work um, because like a lot of artists, I can also be a little, a little secretive, like a witch in my tower crafting spells. Um, but the way that I work is um, very much tied to the way that we live now and the way that we are experiencing life as this sort of generation being asked to straddle the, uh, the physical and the virtual. Um, so by that, I mean that I, I work very much in a digital analog hybrid manner. So um, I create a lot of work digitally using the same tools any, any modern artist would use, you know, a lot of Adobe Creative Suite and, and other, um, you know, software. And I shoot a lot of footage live and um, because my origin, actually, I, I was a photographer for about 10 years. So, so this kind of interest in video came out of um, doing experimental photography. So, uh, you know, I create this work digitally and then I bring it into the analog ecosystem where, like photography, a lot of it is about hurting light. I work in a completely dark room. The walls are painted black. It's very goth. It's very cool. Um, and I, um, you know, uh, once I get these things into the analog ecosystem, it becomes entirely this process of herding light and herding electricity through circuits. And um, this piece in particular to answers this video painting style I've developed 
um, it really encapsulates this digital analog hybrid approach because it begins digital. I create animations digitally and then I bring them into this vintage system where I'm working with tools that like predate me. And that's why um, even the title of this show, Remembrance of Things Future, and this idea of working with an artwork that's, you know, from basic almost a hundred years before my time. Um, I think my work really is about time in that way. And it's about manipulating time and it's about breaking our sense of time more than I, more than it is about being nostalgic because there is obviously a nostalgic quality to my work um, as it all exists on VHS tape. Um, that is sort of the prime medium I'm working with. It's the last analog medium before everything went digital um, and it exists there. And so I have these, <laughs> every work of mine you see exists on a tape in my studio that's like temperature controlled and locked in a cabinet. Um, so it was it was very exciting to do this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up here by saying um, an opportunity to work with a museum like LACMA, which is, you know, my museum as a as a resident of Los Angeles County. Um, this is just these are these opportunities you kind of work towards through your entire career as an artist. And um, you have to seize them, right? You know, there's a bit of this, I think for any of us doing this kind of stuff, like you have to be willing to be a guinea pig. And I have been a guinea pig now for several years as I've been, I'm coming up on my fourth mintiversary here uh, in April. April 4th is the fourth year that I've been minting my work on the blockchain. And so at this point, I'm a guinea pig that's sort of like covered in lipstick and my hair is matted and I'm like twitching and um, I've been experimented on a lot. And, um, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Um, so I I'm happy to to share this work with you all. And the last I'll say about it is this, this piece of mine is it's about duality. Um, if you take a look at it, duality is sort of the central theme and appropriately it has a counterpart artwork um, that is also about duality and they're really um, meant to go together and, and I hope we'll be able to share more with, with you all about that uh, when the time is right. Thanks, Sarah. Jen, uh, if you wanted to have a go, hopefully your technical difficulties were sorted. GM, GM, thanks for having us up. Um, yeah, I got rugged earlier. For some reason, I couldn't hear just you. I know that happens. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> I'm Jen Stark, a visual artist. I live in Los Angeles, so I was really stoked to have this opportunity to collaborate with LACMA and Lady Cactoid, um, Cactoid Labs. You guys were awesome curating this whole thing. Um, so yeah, I'm a visual artist. I've I've been in the art world for about maybe 15, 16 years, and it's typically been working with galleries, doing sculptures, paintings, stuff like that. And I, I've always loved the digital world and animations. And when NFTs came around, I was just, you know, drawn to them because there was never really a way for artists to truly get their digital work out there and um, monetize on it. So this was like a very unique opportunity. There was this movement happening, this whole community forming. I thought it was you know, a new avenue of art history. So I was really excited about it. Um, and yeah, over the past couple of years, I've just immersed myself in the space, um, met so many amazing artists and people in it. And I was so stoked to be part of this LACMA initiative. For it, I chose a very meditative kind of hypnotic quilt that was created in 1865. It's called Log Cabin. And I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting to choose uh, something that kind of gave a nod to my past history. My great grandma was a quilter, and she would just create these quilts by hand. Like every single thread is hand sewn, and it's just so intricate and um, labor intensive. And I love this idea of taking my family history. Um, and my past history in in college, I actually studied textiles and fibers, which is really kind of different from what I'm doing now. I'm more like uh, psychedelic digital painting sculpture. So it's it's really interesting to bring those two 
very handmade um, histories back in this digital realm. So I got inspired by that. It was kind of like vibrational geometry, almost like a mandala quilt. And I just, you know, recreated this hypnotic flowing version of it um, digitally. And yeah, I'm, I'm just super stoked to be part of this. And yeah, thanks for having me up. Cool. Thanks, Jen. Great to hear from you. Ix, what's happening? Um, you want to have a go and sort of um, do your thing? Hey. <laughs> do my what's thing. <laughs> How are you? Um, how's everyone? Thanks for having me. Um, I just came back from New York where I met AV for the first time in person. We had pizza. I won't reveal your... <laughs> your position don't worry um yeah it's it was interesting to be there um it's just my second time in the u.s and like there's a lot happening (laughs) um yeah i'm very glad that i'm very happy to be part of this project with lacma um i think what i've been thinking these days is i i wish that this is something that can be replicated by other countries, other places, especially in Latin America, where, you know, art is, it's in, in a way, in a very pure state. Like, we don't have such thing as, you know, <clears throat> collectors, um, like, fighting their way to get um, an opportunity to acquire art, like, we are actually lacking of that. And um, that causes that artist just like, okay, like maybe I'll do art because I love it, but I don't think I can ever live from that. And there's so many essays written by artists down here about that. You know how it is, um, I bet. So, yeah, like I think this opportunity for me opens doors for many others. That's one of the main reasons why I feel so proud about it. And I also feel proud of um being a dialogue with one of the first artworks or photograph acquired by the museum in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, I think I've been talking about the fact that this is very similar to what's going on with blockchain technology and their relationship with art. It's changing everything for us from our economy to the way we live, the way we share with each other. Um, like two years ago, I wouldn't be thinking, out, well, I'll be in spaces or in podcasts or articles. But yeah, it's a it's a reign of opportunities for artists. And um this this photograph was a reign of opportunities for scientists back in the day. Uh they could they had the opportunity to study plants for a longer period of time and their texture, the details. And um that's one of the reasons why I picked this. Also I imagine this artwork to be part of a a big space. Um, Hopefully it can become a room one day where people can can walk and touch the the remainings of this data that was used for the art. Um, It's one of my dreams. And uh, thank you for the opportunity, Lady Cacto again, and LACMA uh, to leave this for the future generations to remember what I was doing during these times. Right on. Thanks, Ix. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit to the artists about like sort of like your toolkits and like what you use to make the art. Uh, I guess, Ix, I'll throw it back to you really quickly. Um, I know you use like touch designer and some of the things like, what, is that generally what you're always using? Do you sort of switch between uh, different things uh, to create the art? You know, talk a little bit about like what you use for this piece within uh, uh, the partnership with LACMA and what you use more generally. Uh, Toshi Center is, is my software of choice. It's, um, 
I started with um, just anything I could use. Um, I used to go on, on to Notepad++, which is... Um, it's a it's a software that lets you corrupt um, the data on on images or videos. Um, everything I will look at all day was just data and like random numbers or, um, and <laughs> I think I I started using Toshi Signer the most because this is a type of software that lets you see what you're doing and the changes on each. Um, operation um for example sometimes I, I take artwork out of like an operation um like noise algorithms instead of using the final output because even that is for me is striking and really beautiful and it can be used sometimes i even use this the entire uh composition of the program which looks like puzzles or it's just have an interesting way of of looking, and um, I also use photographs and videos that I take on a daily basis. Like I wanted to be an architect for a long time, so I used to take photos of buildings and houses and things that were really interesting for me. Um, I'll play with shadows and light and nature, and um, I still do that. I create stories based on what's what comes in front of me every day, even if it's friends, if it's uh, you know, like the side of the plane or a sunrise or anything. Anything can become art. So I use all of that and I, I add the data to create generative art. I also use sounds. Um, someone asked me what makes my heart beat the other day, and I said that it was music because everything has like sound to me. Like even if you can hear it, you can feel the vibrations of, you know, like maybe the train passing or like people passing the pages on a book or you know my voice and. Um, I think all of that can summarize what makes my heart beat. It doesn't have to be something specific. Um, so, yeah, no, I, that's what I use the most. Just everything that I have in hand that makes me feel curious. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome that every artist on this stage has their own kind of unique way of creating art and their own unique practice and unique. I'm not sure Matt's connection is bad. Uh, oh, Sarah, sure. I'll throw it back to you. I know you <laughs> talked a little bit about using creative suite and some of the things. Um, is that generally what you only use or do you expand further out from there? Um, sure. Happy to jump in. Um, no, I, I, you know, I was really resonating with what Itzel was saying that like anything can be art. Um, and I, I really use such a wide array of tools. And I think that that's how I've um, been able to develop uh, sort of my signature style or styles. I work, you know, uh, well, people often recognize my work is, is existing as a sort of analog video um, in its final form. I use just so many, so many different tools um, going into my work. And, um, you know, this begins, like I said, I, I, I shoot a lot of footage live and I use a lot of um, photographic techniques, I think, in, in what I'm doing and how I'm making things. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit of like an alchemist. So I, 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 I like to keep some of the secret sauce for myself, but um, a lot of my work, I think what people are responding to and why they can't quite figure out what they're seeing, what they're looking at is because I play often with like screens upon screens upon screens. Um, and what I mean by that is that like the feedback loop is sort of an essential um, leitmotif in my work. It's an essential like uh, factor in what I'm doing. And I create feedback loops in a lot of different ways. 
um, the feedback loop, you know, it's, it's, you can see it in nature. It's, it's just anything that, that iterates unto itself. And so um, you see it in a lot of like fractal patterning and, you know, it's all around us all the time. And I, um, you know, I won't get too heady, but like in terms of like logic and how we think and how we exist on the internet, um, we used to live in a very linear fashion as human beings. You know, you're, you're born, you, you eat, you shit, you fuck, you die. And now, <laughs> now we live on the internet where we're born and then we experience like multi-fractal web connection with each other and then we die question mark like we're not sure anymore like we we're reaching the singularity we're we're close to agi we're close to all these things that sort of change our entire definition of what it is to be a human being and to me the feedback loop like logically um is kind of the defining principle of all of that i know that's i'm getting i'm getting a little out there i'm getting a little getting metaphysical but um it's to say that's why I think I, I just, I play with the feedback loop so often as a visual, um, as a visual motif. And, and for anyone, if you're, if you're like, what, what the fuck is she talking about right now? The feedback loop uh, visually, if you've ever point, if you have a camera that's hooked up to a TV and you point the camera at the TV and it explodes with chaos, that's a feedback loop. And that's sort of the um, central thing I'm working with. And, if you've ever done that, you also know, again, it's so chaotic, right? It creates all this like crazy visual noise. And so um, that's something I really pride myself in these years as I've been like developing my practice, developing my style, that I have a number of different ways that I sort of like, I'm a feedback cowboy, you know, like I, I tame that chaos and I can make it into a true loop because a feedback loop is a paradox. It doesn't actually loop because it's reiterating so it's it's really uh, quite a thing visually to be able to make a looping composition out of something that doesn't actually loop. And so um, it's that really, like I said, I, I, I bring things from all over the place. I create animation, uh, use After Effects a lot. That's probably one of the big ones. And, um, but I'm also using my own assets. I'm also using an archive dating back to my adolescence of like um, footage and photos I've shot um, similar to Itzel in that way. Um, and I shoot a lot of stuff live in my studio. And, and then right that moment where I work with the analog video rig, um, the analog system is just so different than digital. Like we are so used to this idea that we can be working on something and save it and come back to it tomorrow and work on it some more and save it and come back to it the next day. The analog rig has no saving. There is no saving in the analog system. So when you witness my work, um, it's often like, you know, days, weeks, months of sketching, animating, you know, creating various assets I want to work with. Because then when I approach the analog system, I have to be bold in um, channeling it the way I want it in that moment, in a single sitting and, and like, hope I don't pee my pants um, <laughs> because there's no saving. Um, so anymore, a lot of the work you see of mine, uh, I've gotten much more particular and much more granular about what I do. So, so sometimes it'll take four, five, six seatings at the analog rig before I get the composition exactly as I want it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a really particular, uh, way of working and it's, it's, it's only could be developed this way through, um, at this point I've been working with, uh, the analog system for about eight years. So it's eight years of just organic artist weirdness that has developed into, um, these sort of processes that are mine unto myself. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Jen, do you want to... Well, come on, talk a little bit about it. Let us know some of your secrets or what. I will. Yes, I will. So, All yeah, right. I usually use, um, I mean, in my work, I, I love working with a lot of a variety of things, even in my fine artwork, you know, painting, sculptures. I bounce back and forth. And in the digital world, um, NFT space or immersive interactive world, um, I usually collaborate with people and we'll use um, 
you know, like After Effects, Cinema 4D, um, Touch Designer. But for this piece, I actually used Illustrator and Photoshop. It's, you know, a pretty like handmade, hand animated process. And I love kind of jumping back and forth between all of them. And um, I started out actually as a stop motion animator in college. Animation was my minor. So I've always loved the the kind of hand handmade, sequential, step-by-step process. And I like the idea of mixing sculpture with animation. Um, so I would create these, my like old school signature kind of vortex paper sculptures in a stop motion format. So I would hand cut each of these papers and, you know, place them in different, different moments for each frame. And um, it just like starts kind of like growing and this infinite vortex of colors and shapes and sounds. So yeah, I, I try to use a, a different variety of things um, just so things don't get static and, yeah, that's that's a couple of my secrets. Let me see if this works. Can you guys hear me? Twitter Spaces is back I, I at it again. All right, let's go. Um, all right, so I was curious, like, just to kind of dig in a little bit more about each artist's respective creative process. Like, it's pretty cool how everyone has their own unique approach to creating their art but I also am like wondering like it's kind of a bit of a balancing act right like you want to stay true to your style that defines you as an artist but you also want to continue pushing and trying new ways of creative avenues so I'm curious to like know from each artist how they think about that and how they kind of balance those two seemingly conflicting um, or oftentimes conflicting you know initiatives if that question made any sense <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense yeah. <laughs> well, the lab makes me think I asked a shitty question on Twitter Spaces, so you never know. Um, no, no, yeah. It's... Go ahead, go ahead. It's fine. Oh, okay, we're all so polite. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really cool question. I actually really dig that. Um, I think because for me, uh, it's funny. It's like there's the way you create like at large, and then there's the way you create to release editions, those are kind of different, um, different but connected things, right? Like I, I've heard um, people say this idea of sort of like create freely and mint thoughtfully. And I've um, very much adhered to that notion uh, since I began doing all this um, because <laughs> we're all doing this thing right now, being artists working in this space where we're sort of like dogs walking on their hind legs. Um, we're, many of us are our own gallerists. We're our own, you know, we have, we're, we're, we're not just artists. We have to like, you know, present our work in a way uh, thoughtfully for collectors and kind of guide that side of it. Um, so, so that adds a factor, I think, to what you're doing in your art practice that I've always tried to view as um, as a boon, as like a benefit, because it, it helps me. Uh, I am a pretty um, wide reaching in what I get excited about, what I get interested in, and I want to create. And it gives me something to come back to, um, to kind of uh, present the work in a, in, a, in a thoughtful and guided way. And I made the decision early on, you know, I'm sure any artist can relate to this, where if you work in kind of a number of different styles or, uh, you know, you're not just sort of recreating the same piece uh, a lot, it can be very tempting when you start to have commercial success for one style um, to want to just to want to just say, okay, let me just do that again because I'd like to have that happen again. Um, I don't know. And, I, and so I just, I, I'm just kind of, riffing here but it's to say for me I, I made the decision early on um to both focus very much on this uh this analog digital analog practice of mine but also let it be expansive and so in my case uh it makes it harder but i'm trying to always do something new in some way with everything i do even if it's a continuation of a pre-existing uh, or predefined style um, I'm always trying 
new things and trying to bring some sort of new spice into it. Um, I also think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of at an inflection point in my work. I've been very fortunate in this space and um, I'm, I'm figuring out how to expand into different dimensions with what I do to kind of keep it fresh and to also just be brave and see, um, see what will, what will take and where it will take me. Do our other artists want to weigh in on that question that was asked earlier? Sure, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit. Um, in regard to, uh, you know, there's there's such a fine line of um, you want to keep it fresh. Like Sarah said, you want to be brave. You want to come up with these new ideas. But you also want to kind of have some signature style that people can can recognize. And that's like this through line with your work. So it's it's an interesting line that artists have to balance um um and yeah i i think artists should always kind of reach out of their comfort zone and try new things you know you have to you have to mess up you have to create the bad work in order to sludge through to the good work so i mean it's important to to try it all thank you for that jen uh i have a question for uh, Lady Cactoid, uh, but before uh, I ask the question, if there are any anybody in the audience that might want to ask a question, not shill something, to our guests and speak, now would be the time to request it. Um, Lady Cactoid, the question I have for you, we've had some problems. Uh, Deaf Beef was supposed to be able to speak, but we've had some connection issues with him. I was just wondering if you might be able to speak a little bit about what uh, Deaf Beef might be doing uh, in relationship to the LACMA uh, Cactoid Labs next upcoming offering, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, well, I won't, I won't give too much away because Deaf Beef is in the process of, of, of working on this, but it's really cool. So there are a number of works by um, the early um, photographer Edward Moybridge in LACMA's collection, um, which which Def, Def Beef is 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 basically you know researching and responding to. So if if you guys know Moybridge, um, he was known for basically taking some of the first um what what they called um like chronophotography um he was able to track how a horse so this was like in the like late 19th century and like the 1870s he you know the camera was was relatively new the camera was invented in 1839 and so this was like you know about 30 years into that and he started using the camera to see if they could basically track what a horse looks like galloping. Um, and, and so seeing their hooves le leave the ground and kind of enter the air as they're moving, that was never, no one had ever done that before. So Moybridge started using the camera to basically um, show people what could be done with this new device and to sort of prove to people how, um, how these horses moved. Um, basically it became the basis, like this form of photography for, um, films for like, for, for, for motion camera work. And so it's really like a very, very important, um, moment in, in the history of art and photography and is, you know, something that anybody who studies photography has to, to look at at some point. So, um, so Deaf Beef is looking at a number of these works in LACMA's collection and exploring them in, an, in, an, in some very fascinating ways, which I don't want to sort of give away too, too much, but it's very in dialogue with that body of work. Um, you know, that body of work in and of itself is a sort of meditation on time. So it's a very fitting 
project to explore within this rubric of, of remembrance of things future, which is as a whole, a meditation on time. So I, yeah, it's that, that will be on, on the near horizon. Um, and it's too bad that, that Jeff Beef was basically rugged by Twitter, but he will speak about this in, in other conversations and has spoken a little bit about it in some conversations we've had. So yeah, I'm really excited for him to share, to share all of that with you guys. It's going to be quite cool. Um, and then William is also um, here listening and is working on, um, on works in, in Lachma's collection that deal with a lot of texture with um with materials like plaster and um i will i won't i won't give too much away but william is was working on something quite exciting as well so yeah <laughs> um great is there a time frame on when these uh works will be the future works will be released like william def b some of the other artists that you've discussed that may be coming on later so I think that Deaf Beef is going to be releasing his work in like mid or late April. Um, and then um, William will be in May. Um, so this is all, all, a lot of the programming is, is taking place alongside an exhibition called Coded, Art Enters the Computer Age, um, which is up at the museum through July 2nd. And uh, I had the great pleasure of taking Fungible, who's in the audience, um, as well as Eric Calderon and some some other really great people in this space through the exhibition yesterday. Um, but there's a really strong dialogue, not only with works that are like, you know, early photography and stuff like that at LACMA, but in this early computer art that is currently on view. And so that's, that's another kind of conversation that we're trying to foreground with this project. Perfect, fair. Um, I don't see any specific audience questions at the moment, um, <clears throat> but nevertheless, uh, definitely wanted to thank all of the artists that came on. Uh, Itzel, Sarah, Jen, I know, Def, we had some issues uh, getting you on stage, but hopefully I uh, look forward to the work upcoming. Big thanks to Lady Cactoid and the work she's doing with LACMA to profile some of these great artists alongside the current exhibition, uh, Coda, that she just referenced. Look forward to that and look forward to the uh, upcoming programming over the next few months. So I want to thank everyone for joining today. Again, thank the artists and um, Lady Cactoid and, 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 and everybody's work all together. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And we'll, and we'll see you next time for our next show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>